This podcast was recorded and produced on the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. Blackbirds acknowledges and pays respects to elders past, present, and emerging. No offense, but. No offense, but. You guys suck. Oh, no offense, though. Like, no offense. Great Britain has now become Snowflake Central. No, 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 no. Oh my god. Look, no offense, but. Oh, oh my god. Oh. No, I am not Hello and welcome back to No Offence But, a Blackbirds podcast. My name is Aisha and I am the Artistic Director of Blackbirds and the host of this show. Today I am joined by the very talented Emily Havea. Emily is an actor, performer, singer, writer, dancer, aerobics instructor, runner, as in set runner, photographer, drag king the list literally goes on and does not stop you may have seen her on tv in wentworth or the secret she keeps or a multitude of ads or you may have seen her in our blackbird show brown skin girl emily angelonica sullen and myself initially wrote the show in 2016 and since then it's had three sold out seasons and may soon be getting another life in the short time I've known Emily, she has evolved and absolutely stepped into her own. Her own cultural identity as a Tongan Australian, her sexuality, her feminine and masculine energies, and her abundant creativity. We talk about all this and more, including how Emily got into performing, how she got into being a drag king, and what the heck she's doing in Perth in today's episode. And can I just say, when I was editing this and listening back, I couldn't stop smiling. Also, little... Uh, Spoiler alert, or maybe not, because we can't really travel, but Emily is currently in quarantine in Perth, getting ready to rehearse and perform in a production of Oklahoma, so when you listen to this and you feel some type of way, make sure you send a little message to Em, or tag her on Instagram, at Texas underscore gold, also in the show notes, because quarantine can get lonely. Hope you enjoy the chat. Hey, hey, Emily, Havea. When was the last time you offended someone or someone offended you? So, I mean, I'm in quarantine, so I feel like I haven't been offended personally, but I have been doing my research for Oklahoma, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, because usually this role is a white man, I'm like doing my research on black cowboys. And I found out that the word cowboy is like inherently like of race because back in the day, like they wouldn't call a white man boy or like a Spanish man boy, they would call black men boys. And so cowboys were like specifically the small slave boys that like herded cattle. And from that, and like when, like when Westerns came out in America, um, there, was, there was still segregation was legal. So of course, like the black narrative got completely erased by, by Hollywood. So I thought that was pretty fucking offensive. Yeah. Did you listen to a podcast? Did you hear that from a podcast? No, I was just oh. doing, doing the research. What's oh the podcast? Um, I was listening to a podcast. I think it's one of the Stuff You Should Know podcasts. Um, and they do like a little short stuff. And I think they did it on Black Cowboys. And they said that. And I was so shocked as well. I was like, wow. And of course, yeah, it makes sense. Like, so demeaning to call a man a boy in that way and it's really like the white southerner calling a black man boy like I don't know if you remember but like a couple years ago when Obama was in office he was doing something in what's it called when they're not parliament congress congress and um one of the other senators old white senator pointed at him this is when he was the president and was like boy you don't cross that floor Mm -hmm. wow 
fucking mm. yuck, man. Yuck. Mm. I also read about this one, this one um, African-American mixed race dude. He had green eyes and red hair. He got like dropped on the someone's doorstep. He's never met his biological mother again kind of vibe. And he served in two wars. He came back to America in like the 1970s. He wanted to like, uh, raise cattle he went to go sell them and people wouldn't buy them because he was black or mixed race or different looking and so one of the one of the some old white hick guy was like hey you should go start your own town and then you can sell your own cattle in your own town and so then he was like I might just do that and then went and did that and started his own town and like raised his cattle there it's called like Cowtown Key Loco and it's like 40 miles out of Tulsa and like the fucking Arizona desert or something. And he just like started his own town and like made a little inclusive hub for everyone. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. When the borders open, that's where we're going. <laughs> yes. Cowtown Key Loco. Let's go. I love it. I love it. Yeah. So you're in quarantine at the moment. As how's it going? Yeah. How's it going? Basically. Day six. It's all right. It's um. It was a little bit lonely this morning, but it could have been because I got drunk from two p.m. yesterday, and I like just had so many crazy wild dreams. So when I woke up, I was like, I felt like I'd been all these different places, and then had nowhere to speak to and no one to talk it out with. Yeah. But um, I've been meditating, stretching. Like I have actually so many other things to do. Just trying to keep my mind off Instagram. You know, I watched The Social Dilemma a couple of days ago and goddamn, oh. goddamn, it was a bad idea to watch it in quarantine. Yeah. When, you know, social media is like literally my point of connection with people. So yeah. that was a bit of a headline. But, um, but yeah, just trying to keep my screen time, like not let it run out of control. Because I think about day three, I spent like most of my day on Instagram and I yeah. really felt to that, not in a cute way. Yeah, right. It's so easy to do, though. You just get lost in there and then you're on someone else's page, someone else's page. Totally. And the dopamine hit, you know, like you just like when you get that that bing, 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 and it kind of sparks that thing. And then you go to your like real life and because there's no one here to like bounce off. I'm just like, (laughs) like you know, just like back to Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but it's good. It's good. It's good. And like, I need to just like keep reminding myself that bitch, you are being paid to be here. Exactly. Like, you know, keep it, keep it front of mind, Havale. And you've got like a proper apartment, not just like a room. <laughs> totally, totally. It's actually spacious as hell, to be honest. Yeah. Like, yeah. A one bedroom studio apartment in Sydney. Like, if this was in Sydney, it would be so expensive. <laughs> oh my god! It's can like you imagine. Yeah. No, I can't. Yeah. <laughs> That's all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into the nitty gritty. <clears throat> this isn't really nitty gritty, but you know. Um, so, the first question is <laughs> how do you culturally identify? I culturally identify as Tongan Australian. Mm. Yeah, I for many years was like, I think I culturally identified as not being Tongan enough. But um, I have really begun to make my peace with that, I think, you know, really begun to just embrace the fact that I don't know and that that's okay and that that's just like my journey to figure out more about my culture and find it out and and yeah yeah so yeah proudly Tongan Australian Mm. and Mm. in our show that we did um brown skin girl Mm -hmm. you talk about in one of your writings you talk about you know being Tongan and being brown but also being white and like having Mm. heritage was it the second fleet your mum's ancestry goes back to yeah the second fleet man like nine generations ago 
it is, it was, it's been such a head fuck. And Brown Skin Girl actually was a beautiful vehicle to help me realize and come to terms with that. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like over the, over the three years that we did the show, I think you'll like, you'll definitely notice that um, that monologue or that part of that I was talking about only came up in like the third show. Like with the first and second time, I was still very much trying to find like who I was and what it was. And I think it was in one of the second shows, um, Samia, beautiful Samia, Samia mm. and Alia, um, they came up to me afterwards and Samia was like, yeah, you know, I grew up always thinking I was white. And that was like the first time that I'd heard that articulated back to me. And I was like, oh my God, like that's fully my experience. Like, oh, okay, it's not just me. I don't have to hold this weird shame that I'm not brown enough to be in the brown club, which mm. I definitely had for a few time, a few like years. Um, as I was just like kind of figuring out that I am brown and that that means that I am able to be in these kind of spaces with these kind of women and that's great but oh wait I'm not brown enough I'm still half white and when people talk about white people I'm like I remember one time saying to my mom some sort of rhetoric about like oh yeah white people this and mom was like yeah but I'm white and I was like yeah but not you mom and she was like no Emily I'm white and I was like yeah, <laughs> yeah fuck true that means I'm white too that's yeah <laughs> You know, so it's been like, it was a bit of a head fuck, but I think it's like, I don't know, it kind of, uh, Samia gave, Samia said it's, she always thought of it like she was standing on the backs of two horses, horses, as they were riding along, like a white horse and a dark horse. And I thought that was such a beautiful image. And I think it's something really now I'm finding to embrace and to like, to like, it's beautiful to have those two things inside you and it's okay. And it's like, it's a part of you, you know, and that's, yeah. that's like, yeah. So just kind of like finding my way to being comfortable with that, you know. Mm. And you grew mm. up in Bendigo, which is rural yeah. Victoria, and yes. you, you have siblings. And did you ever, were you guys like the only brown people around? Yeah, there was like one other Tongan family. And it was like, you know, I had a population of like 100,000 as a, as a pretty big... Yeah, big small town. town. Yeah. Yeah. I remember once uh, an Indian family drove past and the kids and like the mum like waved at me out the window. And I was like, hi! Oh my God, you're here too. And I remember like my friends would be like, why do you always like smile and nod at like whenever a brown person looks past? And I was like, I don't really know, but it just feels right, you know? Like, even before I was, like, kind of fully conscious of it, I was conscious of it, you know? Because my mum, I think she worked so hard to make us feel like we weren't different at all. Yeah, and so I always had just, just this narrative of, like, I'm not different, I'm normal, I'm normal, I'm normal like everyone else, and everyone's white, so I'm, like, normal like them, right? Yeah. You know? And, like, there was this time when I was, like, in, like, year 11, and, like, a group of my best friends... Like, one of them was such a shit stirrer, Blake. And he said to me, like, oh, at least I don't strut when I walk. And I was like, what the fuck? I don't strut when I walk. And I looked at my best friend and I was like, Amy, do I strut? And she looked like, she had this look on her face, like, ooh. And I was so offended. I was like, what the fuck? Like, I'm trying so hard to fit in here. And, like, oh. my body betraying me or something. You know what I mean? Like, it's only kind of until later, like I've, like now in my life that I realised the kind of person I am is to like absorb things or physicalise stuff and then kind of be able to articulate it with my head and heart and brain. Yes. I, I kind of thought of it like my body knew who I was before I did. Yeah, right. That's so interesting. You know I mean? And you are such a physical person. Like, 
you're such a good mover, you did dance, like, you know, you work out, you're fit, like you're very in your body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could, I could feel like emotional changes in my body before I really know what's going on. You know, like I realized and like become okay with the fact that I'm not always like head first, I'm like body first. And then I kind of absorb it and like think about it, you know? Yeah. Did you ever talk to your siblings about this kind of stuff? Like, um, I mean, my little brother is two and a half years younger than me. And I think he is very much like I'm the educational point for him in right. our discussions around it because he he went he went to private school, private school, Scotch College, man. Okay, he went yeah. to like Primo Rich White Boy Central when he was like 15. So he's got like, you know, he's got conditioning out the wazoo from that. Yeah. Um, and my older siblings were like, they're like eight, 10 and 12 years older than me. And my sister's always been like a real touchstone of truth for me. Um, so yeah, I think I would talk, I don't know if I would talk about it. I didn't really become that conscious of it until I was like 23, you know, mm -hmm. like, so I didn't really even know how to look through a lens of race for like my entire childhood. So like going back uh, and to, to apply a lens of race now, it kind of sometimes seems a bit hard. Mm. So I'm like, oh, did I have these conversations? Like, I don't think so. I don't think so. My mom would like literally never <laughs> because mm. like her biggest fear is like not, uh, not, not, not fitting in, but not being included. Yeah. And so, and so Tongan culture was always something that she was not included in because she just wasn't. And Papa is like really bad at communicating when it comes to like, <laughs> just like really bad at it. Like for someone who's like a literal surgeon. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, it can't be perfect. He can't be perfect, but he had no capacity to like hold mum's fears in those spaces. So mum's fears just kind of like came out as my own for many years until yeah. I really realised one time when we went to family therapy, don't even ask, and I said something, it was, yeah, <laughs> and mum, I said something about Tonga and how I felt about it. I can't even remember what I said. And mum looked at me and she said, yeah, Emmy, me too. And it was like, as I turned my head to look at her, like a sack of shit of understanding just like dropped in me. And I just thought to myself, these aren't my fears, they're yours. You know? Yeah. It was like the first time that I really conceptualised that, oh my God, like this is like not actually all mine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> These feelings, you know? Yeah, it sounds like like such a huge realization, and like one of those ones that also comes hand in hand with when you know when as a child you realize that your parents also don't really know what they're doing, like their mm. children. You know what I mean? When you realize like, yeah, oh, totally. you're just older than me. Like you also don't know. Fully, what does my sister say? We do the work that our parents didn't, or something. Yeah, that's so true. <laughs> oh my yeah, god. So when you kind of had this realisation, you were talking before, like turning 23 and kind of having a realisation that you were brown and like what that meant. Mm. Did that intersect with your mm. time at drama school? For sure, for sure, for sure. I can't really recall, again, it's just like such a blur of a time, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I can't recall a moment that I thought, oh, but I, as I was thinking about it earlier today, there was a time around first year that I remember thinking, oh, I'm different 
Like yeah. I was, I could not wrap my head around the fact that I wasn't normal like everyone else, you know? Mm. I, I couldn't wrap my head around like why I was being cast in these ways or that my skin meant something. You know what I yeah. mean? I, I never had any conceptualization of that. And I think like at NIDA, I made my first brown and black friends. Like Tussauds and Emelaire and fucking Shiv were like the first people I actually knew that weren't my family that were different in any other way. And so I think I learned, especially from Emelaire, like I learned a lot through just being around her, you know. I didn't actually remember this, but my sister reminded me that once Em said, you know, there's not going to be roles for us, so we're going to have to write them. And I was just like, eh? Like, I just, it's funny, it's funny now, because, like, that's exactly what I'm doing, yeah. <laughs> you know? And, like, I really, like, I have a lot to owe her for the fucking foresight that she had, because I did yeah. not have that. Was she's not, a bit of an oracle, isn't she? She bloody is. She's, mm. yeah, she's got a hands and heart in the earth, you know? Without a doubt. So, okay, so drama school, you did acting at NIDA, but you sing, mm-hmm. you dance. Yes. You do aerobics. Um, I do teach aerobics. That was post NIDA. How did you get into performing? Like, how did, how did you, what was your you journey? Know, yeah, my mum took me to see Priscilla, Queen of the Desert when I was 17. Like, I went to them, I went to them, and I sat in that audience, and I was, at that time, I was, like, 17, so I was thinking about what do I do after high school. Um, yeah, and I was doing all, like, the smart subjects at that time, and um, I sat in the show at an intermission. I leant over to mum, and I was like, mum, I want to do that. I want to do that for the rest of my life. And mum was kind of like... <sighs> and she spent the whole car trip home being like emmy you know it looks fun now but you gotta do that eight shows a week and she wasn't wrong to be honest she's quite hit the nail on the head right there she did i was not wrong but i could not be deterred and um i had done singing lessons from the age of 12 so i was always a singer and then i got into like musicals like probably year eight but there was never meant anything other than just like fun until i was 17 and i was like nah yeah i want to do that want to do that mum and she was just like well you know if you fail you can always be a teacher yeah i've heard (laughs) that many times too yeah Yeah, i can know And so then after that, I auditioned. No, I took a gap year. I worked at a wine bar for a year in Bendigo. Yep. Learned a bit about wine. Um, and then I moved to Melbourne and I got, had got into this um, music theatre course, this one-year music theatre course at APO Arts Academy. When I was there, it was only like a 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. course. And when I got there, I found out you could also do the dance course, which was 9 a.m. to 3.30 and I was like, well, fuck it, I'm already here. And I had massive FOMO. And I was like, I'm not doing anything else. Like, fuck it, I'll do a dance course as well. So then I just became a dancer in a year. Like, I had never, I did jazz once when I was eight, you know, wow. before then. At the age of 19, I just went from like zero to hero. Like, That's my body amazing. was. Like, yeah, fully, fully. And like the tongue and muscle genes or whatever's going on in my body and my lineage, like, the flexibility was just there to be had like once I actually like was training every day and learning the things and then I just kind of became a dancer in a year and then I got into an acting course and at that stage I didn't even know I was good at acting you know what I mean like it was literally acting class in in the music theater course that my teacher Stephen Wheat said to me you know Emily you're actually a pretty good actor and I was like all right okay cool (laughs) 
am I? And then I got into the acting course, but streaming and music theater, but you get in there for acting. Yeah. And then when I got there, I realized I didn't know who Chekhov was. Like I barely knew Shakespeare. Like, you know, wow. like I had spent like a whole amount of time investing so hard in music theatre and trying so hard to be this thing and learning all this music theatre history. And then I got into acting and then I knew nothing again. And so then I just had to like learn again. So yeah, it was a weird journey. I feel, feel like I kind of constantly fell off of a tits onto my feet. Like I fell off. Yeah. Yeah. Like when I got into NIDA, my mum was like, oh, are you good? And I was like, apparently. <laughs> You know, like it was news to me. <laughs> wow, that's so wild. Like, yeah. For someone who has literally done Bill Shakespeare shows, like, Boom. not that far out of drama school either. And, like, done, so, like, yeah. I knew that you did the music theatre stream, but, like, I had forgotten because I see you as, like, an actor who does Sweet. music theatre. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's how I consider myself now. But, um, but at the time, I was music theatre as fuck. Yeah. yeah. And I just realised, oh, no, someone told me I was good at acting. And so then I kind of just got into this course that apparently was really good for actors and then just, like, became an actor. <laughs> to be honest, like, um, NIDA didn't, did not, bless their cotton socks, they did not support my Shakespeare learning, really. Like, we had, like, a term on it. And because I was music theatre stream, when they maybe did extra Shakespeare, we did extra music theory. So nice. I didn't get a particularly good Shakespeare education. Like Bell Shakespeare, I got to hand it to them. Like they educated me on the job, on the job as fuck. And after having to tour for nine months and speak to kids like in bumfuck nowhere about the importance of Shakespeare, I just like started to believe it. <laughs> and it's also really good learning with Bell Shakespeare, especially doing the um, player stuff because you are performing for school kids so you need to be able to understand it in a way that they can understand it right so it's like totally. you really break totally. it down to the totally. most basic level and then you can build your way up totally yeah totally and because my like my Shakespeare understanding was kind of at a high school level like let's be honest yeah it was like perfect for me because yeah. like I got the education as well as giving the education at the same time mm. yeah it was massive imposter syndrome but like I was being paid to be there so oh of course and <laughs> also like, like you need to be learning all the time like you know, why Literally. not do something that's a challenge for yourself? Yeah, yeah. And then that's, after that, you got another job with them anyway. So it was like, you know. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, Shakespeare really, like, gave me an appreciation for poetry, actually. Like, I've always loved poetry since I was 14. I've always kept a journal. I've always loved the way that words rhyme. Um, like, before I could read, I could recite this 52-page book that mum had that, like, was all in, like, rhyming couplets. I just loved words. And then when I did Shakespeare, I was like, oh, oh no, he's like really good. <laughs> yeah. He knows he's a like thing or really two. Good. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. No, he really knew some stuff. Like, cool. <laughs> You've done such like a wide variety of work in so many different places. And like, maybe you have a different view to this, but I feel like you're constantly working. On something. I feel like that is definitely the narrative that is upheld by the industry that I'm in. And I'm kind of into it. Do you think it's weird, though? Because I don't know if you're the same, but I was kind of, like, inadvertently told when I finished drama school that, like, it's going to be really hard for you and not going to get any work, basically. Mm. And, like, yes, to mm. a degree, that's kind of true. But at the same time, it's not. Do you know what I mean? Like, do you I find do that? Totally. I think also with... Um, I don't know, the diversity move in mm. the industry. Like, I definitely 
you know, I wasn't in this industry 10 years ago, but I do have a feeling that if I was, the roles would be reversed because all my friends are queer white men, basically. And, like, I see with within my close friendship circle, like, the amount of auditions I do versus them is, like, way out of balance. Like, I mm. audition way more. And I feel like if that had been, the, if we had been in this industry 10 years ago, the exact opposite would have been true, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I was I also, also feel like... Um, I've understood that like this industry feels too small to do one thing. Like it's just, it's not possible. So, and I'm such a yes, a yes, 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 yes. Let's okay. Let's do this. Like people would just like, I'd make friends with people that ask me to do something. And then I'd make a friend with someone else and that asked me to do something or I'd like help out on this or I'd, I'd be a runner on set or I'd, take photos, I do mm. production bills for a while. Like, can I do that? I don't know, I have a camera, bleep, bleep, bleep. you know, like yeah. just like make it up. And through that, I've kind of different things have stuck and different things have fallen away. And I don't know, it keeps me busy and interested. And yeah. 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 That's why yeah, I think well, you're like, that's why I think you're how I see you as always working. Cause you don't limit yourself. Like you're not mm. just like, I'm, mm. I'm an actor and therefore I will only read a script and blah, 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 blah. Like, because uh, we, you wouldn't survive. Like, not even talking it's, about financially, but, like, emotionally. Like, you just... Totally, totally. And it's, like, because acting is such an inherently disempowered craft, you know? Yeah. Not only are we waiting for someone to say yes to do the job, because you can't, like, I'm not acting alone here in my room. I'm, I'm in rehearsing for a show, but I'm not, like, you know, mm. you can't just, like, get up and do a monologue for your living room. It's just, like, that's not the thing that we want to do and then when you do get the job it's like someone tells you how to stand where to stand what to say what accent to speak in someone else does your hair someone else does your makeup someone else puts a costume on like you know what I mean like the actual creative power of an actor doesn't feel like heaps until you get to like Emma Watson Nicole Kidman doing Mm -hmm. stuff at the UN or something or whatever so I didn't really love that and I hated the feeling of waiting around and I felt like I worked at the old fits for like eight months out of drama school the following year and that is a pub fueled and worked by out-of-work actors like Mm. uh, like when I got a job I got the players job out of there and one of the guys who was actually a studying um GP he was a the whatever you call it like a a doctor who's training or whatever and he was working at a pub whatever and um he was like oh em i'm so excited for you like you were the first actor i've ever known to get a job <laughs> oh my god like i need to leave this workplace you know like <laughs> get out get out get out get out yeah so wow. yeah and through a lot that and a lot of like you know, I'm such, like, Abraham Hicks really, really changed my life at about 25, 26. She so speaks a lot of... Who, who, Abraham. Give, give me something away. I don't know who this is. I think you've mentioned her name, but, yeah. All right. So, I know that you were a budding law of attraction bitch. And I'm into she, it. <laughs> yeah. Just Google Abraham Hicks. She is a woman. Like, it's pretty woo-woo, but I think as actors, like, we're kind of on board for that. But uh, she essentially, like, like channels higher source energy and speaks through this woman, right? Um, but, like, apart from that, if you, even if you don't believe in that part, for me, it was, like, the most emotionally intelligent 
thing I've ever heard in my life. And it was like the way she spoke to people. Cause she just like, she gets in these massive, like, I don't know, arenas of people or whatever. And like, just kind of like feels out the person who has the right question for that time, gets them in the hot seat. They talk, she talks, they feel better by the end of her, whatever. And just like the way that she spoke to people was so direct, upfront and full of love and lack and no judgment. It was like, just like, it was just the most amazing thing I'd ever heard at that time, like say 25, 26. And then I guess like that has just like really helped evolve my sense of like what my limitations are, which is myself. Mm. Like you are your own limitation. Do you know what I mean? Like your, the way you, the way you think about stuff and your expectation and your perspective on things is like, that's the thing that holds you back. I mean, not to just uh, not to say that there aren't like a whole number of other social factors, socioeconomic, like a whole bunch of like, you know, there's so many other things at play here, but at the end of the day, you have a choice. Like you have a choice about how to feel about stuff. And so I think that listening to her for a couple of years really just helped me like take my own choice back and not feel victim to circumstances. I love that. Yeah. And just through that, I found myself so busy. Yeah. And also through that, like, or when you kind of started listening to Abraham Hicks, was this also when you started to go through your metamorphosis? Because I remember when I first (laughs) met you, you'd you'd just cut your hair from super long to like mid length, shoulder Mm -hmm. length. And then you cut it a little bit shorter and then you cut it much shorter. I feel like you stepped into your own and I can't really say this because I didn't really know you before, but mm. you know, from the way you've you're spoken about it. Yeah. 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 Was that also like interconnected? Yeah. I feel like that was around the same time. I think also the, the major thing for me cutting my hair short um, was heartbreak and I needed a change because at the end of the players tour, I broke up with my boyfriend of four years who I dated all throughout um, drama school. And that was a big change. I remember thinking, feeling like it was going to be me stepping off a skyscraper because like we'd had this relationship for so long, we'd built up this thing. And then when I actually took the step, I felt like, Oh, it was only like a step below. You know what I mean? I was like, Oh, and then after that, I fell in love with this dude who was just like all of the things that my boyfriend at that time never was. It was like the rebound was so hard. And then I just like fell so hard for this guy whose name was also Tom. Hilarious. Oh my God. And, um, yeah, ridiculous. And then that kind of ended. He wasn't fully capable. I wasn't fully capable in a way. And um, I just like felt the effects of like a four year relationship and then like a hot three month fling just like... <laughs> And I was just like, Devo. But I was still like, I knew I'd listened to enough like like Law of Attraction and Abraham to kind of know that I was okay, but I was just so deeply hurt. And from that, I decided like, it's my happiness now. Like that this is the thing that you're doing and you're doing Emily. Like no one else is gonna do it for you. Like go and be happy. <laughs> and so I just kind of like manically chased my happiness across a thousand different Tinder dates, across a thousand different adventures. I had a saying for a while that like, it was worth it for the story. Like I'd get myself into these like random situations and I'd be like, mm, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> a true you know? actor and writer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And like, you know, I paid the price for it sometimes. Like sometimes it wasn't that cute. Mm. And yeah, and I guess I learned from that as well. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. and I didn't ask you this, like, before as prep, but I mm-hmm. forgot to write it down. But I really yeah. want to know more about 
your your work as a drag king and like how that came in and what inspired that and like how's it going oh my gosh okay so mardi gras this year man which is like maybe like march is that when mardi gras april i don't know yeah march Um, feb yeah march feb right around then i remember thinking like before mardi gras what's the deal with drag kings though like where they at why are drag queens so famous and why aren't drag kings so famous? And I went to a Sydney Kings show at the old giant dwarf. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it was very much a night for everyone to just get up and try a thing. And some dudes were fucking hilarious. And some dudes, chicks, big dudes, were just like really angry and really resentful and really hateful and like no shade to them. That's where they were at. But I remember thinking like, Oh, is there no space for like happiness within a drag king culture? Like, is there no space for like joy? Like, you know, I have a lot of excellent friends who are men, Mm. you know? And so like, I couldn't like sign to draw the line. I was like, but they can't all be bad, (laughs) you know, like, like, Men yeah, have, and you also have like excellent brothers and an excellent dad, and like you know, like you're surrounded totally, by amazing like, men. Totally, like the patriarchy exists, but also, what's with masculinity? Like, where's like the soft masculinity? Where's like you know, there's toxic for sure. But I just, I was just so interested in all the different flavors of it. And then at um, Mardi Gras, I was like, oh yeah, fuck it, I'll be a drag king. And so I just like started googling like drag kings i googled like uh uh, i um an ab painting tutorial like you know i was i was watching other um women talk about being kings and and i was just like okay i'll give it a go then and i couldn't decide on a name for ages i um i was so silly the night of mardi gras we had to be because we were in the parade at 4 p.m and so we needed to be ready and going by three. And I went to the gym early and then I only left myself an hour to get into drag, which if you know anything about drag, is not enough, you know? <laughs> it's not enough. God damn it, it was quick drag, like shit. But it was actually, it was great. But like, <laughs> it's so funny to like sit down to your face and start to paint. And you know, I had taught retro sweat for like four years now so a bitch can paint a face mm. but it's also like muscle memory so when I got a when I went to paint a drag face I was like oh my god what do I do like you highlight completely different things you're highlighting your cheekbones and your your frown lines instead of your your highlights and your nose wow. and, stuff. and because like I don't want to be like what I saw on stage from the first king show I'd ever seen was a lot of women men drag kings um with like a really dark beard and then a cap on so you get a shadow over the eyes and then you get darkness here and i was like no 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 like we got to be cuter than that so mm. i was going for like some sort of hybrid female male where i'm like making a beautiful eye highlighting this but also highlighting the cheekbone and like just shaping my face different and then like strapping my titties down was like liberating liberating without a top without a a titty holding device on so nice like i've always wanted to like just go to the beach and take my top off and not have dudes stare at my tits because a they're beautiful and b like you know it's not like a social norm unless you're like hardcore on bondi or something yeah so yeah it wasn't until like halfway through mardi gras after the parade i was still like didn't know my name and someone walked past me and said, oh, Texas Gold, in the middle of nowhere. Like, you know, we were after the parade. And I was like, oh, that's, 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 I love that. 
And Jason looked at me and goes, Em, Texas gold. You're Texas gold. Because I've had this name for ages and I've never known like what it is. Because it's such a good, it's my Instagram handle. But I was like, it is something though. It's something yeah. more than an Instagram handle. And so then like, <laughs> I was like, <gasps> I'm Texas Gold. And that's kind of like how my drag name got born from someone recognizing me from, and, the, and I was like, yeah. yes. And then like, it wasn't a couple of weeks later, even uh, it was Adelaide Fringe and Tom Fondua, who is uh, Queen Kong runs the drag scene in Adelaide and had a show on. And he was like, baby, come, come fly to Adelaide. I'll pay you like do a show with me. And I was like, okay. I was like broke as fuck, but like, I like made it happen, got my ass there and then like met like a whole beautiful budding, like queer community in Adelaide, which was so gorgeous. And, you know, I was like, did the show and then went out with them afterwards. And like, I've got a sock dick on and like, I'm a body king. So like, I've got a sock dick, a G banger thong, shoes my abs painted, my titties strapped down and like, maybe that's it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Or maybe a top up, like up, like nothing. And chicks hit on me, man. It was the biggest head fuck to be in a bar and to be like chatted up. And I was like, said something about my partner back home. And this chick was like, oh yeah. So how's your girlfriend or something? And I was like, my boyfriend is good. <laughs> you know, like, people like not really knowing like girls would come up to me on the dance floor and start grinding on me on my sock dick and it was so weird i was like i am not here to objectify you sis like wow like it was just it was so like new to be male presenting but to feel like also just so female always in my head you know what i mean Mm. and it was so like fun and new and I met a whole bunch of really fun people at a bunch of really fun events and then COVID hit and then I went home but um yeah it's like um it's been a evolving thing and it's really cool because I uh, didn't have any space to perform at the beginning of this year like before I knew this was happening I thought this would be cancelled um and like I found it was a really beautiful way for me to be in charge of what I do on stage Mm -hmm. and I was nervous for the first time like when I went on when I went on stage in Adelaide Fringe like you know I had performed back to back 2019 like had done show up to show show, so grateful so lucky so burnt out and so not nervous so like it's my job like yeah I'm on stage I'm doing my thing and then like when I got on stage and it was like I was singing, you know, if I were a boy with some lyrics that I'd rewritten, I was doing a lip sync and some other stuff and the dance and stuff. I was just like so nervous and it was so beautiful to be like, oh my God, I care about this. Oh my God, I love performing. Oh my God, I miss this. Like, you know, it was so nice to be reinvigorated in that space. And I think drag actually, like upon reflection, has been a really beautiful re-empowerment of all the times people have thought I was a boy. Because when I cut my hair short, which is like a couple of years ago, it is like, for a while there, it was like a weekly event that people would be like, hello, gentlemen, what's up, boys? Hey, sir. Like, especially because I hang out with a lot of dudes in my life, it'd like, it'd always be a thing. And I'd be walking along like with James and Skylar and I'd be like, did you hear that? <laughs> like always. And when I was, a, I actually shaved my head for when I was 14 for Shave for a Cure. So I got confused for a boy young and I, remember, I hated it. I hated it so much. And then as I got older, I also was like 
but I'm a woman. Like, why does the length of my hair mean this mm. to you? And then I think to be in drag and to really like embrace that masculinity was like all of a sudden super empowering. And all the times that people thought I was a man, I was like, fuck it, then I am. Because they don't know what the fuck's happening. Mm-mm. And it's fun. I love the confusion. I love it. So are you bringing some of that drag energy to Oklahoma? For sure. I mean, I don't know, like I haven't been in the room yet, but I feel it feels really fun. And like Texas Gold is a drag king who's a queen, but who's a king. Don't get yes. it. Yes. Like I'm really, <laughs> that's my catchphrase. I'm really going for like a, like a camp man. I'm going for like a Ricky Thompson, like la, 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 la. Because mm-hmm. um, that is, that is kind of what I know best about masculinity from music theatre and all the spaces I've been in, you know. Those are the men that I understand. So, yeah, I feel like it'll be really fun to get to lean into that masculinity, but in a completely different structure performance space, you know. Yeah. So for this, for Oklahoma, are you, I know you're playing the role that is usually a man, but are you playing as a man or are you playing as a woman Let, them so they're not they're not changing the pronouns okay so i'm a he him yeah. but um but richard's like by no means will you be playing a dude like yeah. you're very much gonna be a woman but like it's just a gender fluid space we're living in yeah. which i think is really fun i think it's yeah. really fun like trying to be a man i'm like just leaning into the more masculine sides of myself and like being the leading man role, but being me as well. Yeah. Well, last question I'm going to ask you is, do you have a do try this at home recommendation for the listeners? I was thinking about this all day. I think my do try at home recommendation from the listeners coming from someone who's been in quarantine is invest in your senses. Okay. Go by yourself some incense or a nice candle or a piece of art that looks good or draw a piece of art that looks good or like a nice perfume or 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 a loofah that feels nice like invest in your senses especially because i think we live so much in a digital age where everything is so screen based it's like Mm. how can you feel how else can you make yourself feel nice Mm. that's my that's my stage advice that's kind of broad because you know you got five senses six five i think the sixth sense is seeing dead people (laughs) <laughs> invest in some dead friends don't do that <laughs> don't do that no, creepy don't, do don't invite that. any into your room tonight no we banish the, we banish no, the ghosts and the ghosts. <laughs> hey will you be in there for halloween or will you, will you just be out 20 oh you'll be out you'll be out, I'm out. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah so yeah i'll tell you what it was october first when i rocked up to perth like I have not seen one mask on the street. Like, they is partying. Wow. I'm going to go to a gay club and shake my damn booty. Like, I'm so excited. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you got something out of that podcast. And remember, do not limit yourself and maybe Google Abraham Hicks because I sure am. In case you missed it, this podcast is now going to come out weekly on a Tuesday, so make sure you hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or the follow button on Spotify so that you don't miss a new app. Also, rate and review, and while you're at it, give us a share on Instagram, and remember, send a nice message to Emily because she's in quarantine for another week, okay? You can find all the links to Blackbird's Instagram, my Instagram, and Emily's Instagram to send her beautiful memes in the show notes. 
Have a fabulous week and I will speak to you next Tuesday. Bye.